When I was uh, a student in Bible college, um, one of the things that we did, and we were downtown Chicago, and one of the things we did was we had uh, practical Christian work assignments. And one of the assignments that I actually volunteered for was working um, in the uh, inner city project called Caprini Green. It's changed radically since I've been there, but when I was there, it was um, quite a, a, a bad part of Chicago. And I, I helped out in the afternoon at a kids' club, and one of the things we would do at the end of the club is we'd walk the kids home to make sure they kind of got home. And I remember there were some times where I'm walking, you know, seven- and eight-year-old kids home, and they tell me, you can't go any further, it's not safe. <laughs> I'm going, yikes, I mean, well, are you going to be all right? Well, one of the times I'm, I'm walking these kids home, and I came across a, a little boy. He, he, he probably was seven or eight years old, and he was throwing rocks at a big man, Probably the man was about 30 years old. He was probably six foot two, six foot three. He was probably 220 pounds. And he is throwing rocks at this man and swearing at this man. And I am sitting there going, what in the world are you thinking? You are a little kid. And this is a huge man who by the second is getting more and more angry with you. This is not a good idea. And you know what? It reminded me, as I was thinking about the message uh, this weekend, I was thinking about David going against Goliath. And I was thinking, that's probably kind of what it looked like. This, this seven-year-old boy going against this full-grown man, and everybody looking at that would have said, this is not a good idea. I want to just suggest that some of you, maybe more than we think, you're fighting giants that you were never intended to fight. You're in the middle of a battle right now with a giant. It may be worry, it may be depression, it may be finances, it may be in a relationship, but you are, you are going to battle with a giant and you are outmatched. So we want to talk about this uh, David and Goliath story because... David is mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as a person of faith. And I believe that he's mentioned there mainly or at least because of this adventure that he had, this battle that he had with this, this person called Goliath, and we'll learn more about him in a moment. Let me give you a little context. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, this weekend, uh, 1 Samuel 17. Uh, but as we, we think about this um, let me give you a little context. So we have the Israel cried out for a king, and so the judges period has ended. We talked, remember, about a couple of the judges, and now we're, we're in the period where Israel calls out for a king, and God says, you don't want a king, and yes, we do. And so God gives them a king, and the first king they give, uh, that, they, that God gives them is Saul, and Saul is this big strapping man, and he be, starts out okay, but slowly but surely, he uh, does not turn out to be a very good king. And Samuel, the uh, prophet of God, comes and anoints a new king, unbeknownst to uh, Saul, and uh, basically it, it ends up being the little runt from the house of Jesse. All, he goes through all the brothers and finally, he says, uh, God says to Samuel, he's, he's not here. Uh, 
And God says, he's out in the, you know, ask about the other son. And so Sam, Samuel says, is there another one? He says, oh, there's the little runt, the little brother out in the field tending the sheep. And so they said, bring him in. And of course, God said, this is the one. And we know him to be David. Okay. So that's where we're at. Interestingly enough, where we find Israel uh, at this battle is that Israel's on one side of the, the hillside, the mountain, and in the valley, uh, there's a valley separating them on the other side of the Philistines. Yes, oh, those pesky Philistines, huh? We heard about them in Judges. Well, they're still around, right? And there they are. And so each day, their, their champion warrior, Goliath, would come out. He'd come down off the side of the mountain, and he would come into the valley, and he would shout to the other side, send me your warrior. And in those days, they would do battle. And, uh, but at this point, every day, day after day, he would come and he would curse the God of the, the Hebrews. He would challenge them to send a warrior down. And Israel remained paralyzed in fear. They had nobody to send down. It should have been Saul, but they had no warrior to do battle with Goliath. So one day, David uh, is instructed by his father to, to go to, the, the, to visit his brothers, because his brothers are all, you know, in the, the military, and they're on one side of the mountain on the side of the Hebrews, and he sa- his father says, go check on him, and he goes, they, he goes to check on him, and uh, probably brought food for the troops, and probably it was part of their responsibility to support the troops. So he did all that. He dropped all that off, the quartermaster, whoever it was. And he uh, went, and he came just at the moment that Goliath would come out every day, and Goliath comes out, and he does the same thing. He mocks the God of Israel. He challenges uh, all of the warriors, and David is aghast. He sees this, and he is just beside himself. And he says, well, who's going to go down there and fight this guy? Come on. And his brothers overhear him or must have noticed he was around. And they walk over and they say, what are you doing here? Well, Dad sent me to check on things, and apparently things aren't going well. And so David, uh, they mock David and they say, well, why don't you go back and take care of your little sheep, you know, you know. You know, it's always the bigger brothers, right, that want to put down the little brothers. And, and so you have that going on. And uh, this is where we want to pick up the text, okay? So it's 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's on page 227. If you don't have a Bible, we have these chair Bibles. And if you go to page 227, you can follow along. Now I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage, but then we're going to talk a little bit about it. <clears throat> David said to Saul, well, oh, let me give you a little bit more. So uh, David says, well, I'll fight the giant, okay? And so they immediately take him to King Saul. And David is now in the presence of King Saul. And there's, the, there's where we pick up the dialogue. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. He totally outmatched. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled 
the, excuse me, defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head and David fastened uh, (coughs) on his uh, sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He'd never put this stuff on in his life. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. And uh, so he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five uh, smooth stones from the stream and put them into into the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. So this guy not only has got like armor, he's got somebody to carry stuff for him. He's got an assistant. <coughs> he, looked at da- he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistines, Philistine cursed David <coughs> by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. It's quite a bit. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. You ought to underline that verse, especially the phrase, the battle is the Lord's. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into the forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. With his sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him couple questions we want to look at and then we'll you know try to apply this passage um first question is you know the one of the questions we wonder about is how big was was goliath <laughs> many scholars believe he was around somewhere between seven and a half eight feet tall he was very tall his armor weighed probably about 125 pounds from what we know his spear itself weighed 20 pounds think about that 20 pounds spear was about 20 pounds He was a man of iron, a man of bronze. He was a superhero, right? He was Iron Man. He was high tech. So he wasn't just big. He he had all the latest high tech gadgets of his day. And then we look at David. David, on the other hand, was very low tech. 
Now, all he had was a sling and a, a few rocks that he pulled out of the stream. Now, you would say, uh, you know, David's, David's in big trouble here. Now, understand that the, the, the slingshot was a very effective weapon. Uh, a slingshot, <coughs> excuse me, a slingshot could send a rock between 100 and 150 miles an hour. Well, that makes sense because, you know, uh, major league pitchers today can throw uh, close to 100 miles an hour. So when you're, you know, you're doing that, you actually have more. So, so he had a, a very uh, legitimate weapon. But, I mean, come on, he's very overmatched here. But Goliath's biggest weakness was his confidence in himself. You see, he looked at himself and he says, I'm high tech. I've got all this armor. This is just a puny little kid. What do I have to worry about? I have no concerns at all. (laughs) Goliath looked at his strengths and saw no weaknesses, and this made him vulnerable. Goliath was uh, out of touch with reality. In other words, here's what happened. Goliath had too much self-esteem and too little fear. And what we tend to say is when we're afraid, we need to bolster our confidence. We need to look our fears down and, and just say, I'm not, afra- <coughs> I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid. But that, that was his demise. David, on the other hand, saw his weaknesses. But here's the key difference between David and Goliath. David saw his weaknesses, but his trust was in God. He knew he was weak, and he knew he needed help. David was realistic in his assessment of what he could do and what he needed God to do. David rightly assessed that only God could give him the victory. And that's why verse 47 is so key. He basically goes into the battle and he says, I can't win this battle. This battle belongs to the Lord. Now, due diligence, David's still down there doing battle, but uh, so it's not we let go and let God and say, God, this is yours. I'm not going to do anything. But, uh, you know, so he's still going down and doing battle. He's still showing up. But he understands that there's a part, a role that he plays, and then there's a bigger role that God plays. Here's where we we draw application. Many of the fears and worries that we struggle with come to us because we're taking on challenges that God never intended us to take on. this This is where we run into trouble. We worry about things we have no control over, and we don't take care of the things we do. That's where we get things wrong. We, we worry about a lot of things that we have no control over. And, and this really, I think, comes to a head during the holidays a lot. We begin to worry about a lot of things. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's our job. We, and it's all these things where we say, I'm, I'm worried about this. But you really, in the end, you don't really have a lot of control over it. And I think we don't worry about enough of the things that we do have control over. Well, how did David win the battle? Well, in those days, what, it was, uh, what they would do is uh, they would send a, a champion warrior down, and those two warriors would do battle. And you might think, and maybe you were told this, that, that whoever won, then, then the other army just kind of said, okay, you win, you know. And, and it sounds like that's what Goliath is, uh, is suggesting, but that's not what happened. See, understand, in those days when when these two champion warriors went together and they did battle against one another, what was really happening was the gods were going to battle through these warriors. In other words, they were basically saying, if our warrior wins, that means our god just won the battle. 
And it's basically a precursor of what's going to happen in the rest of the battle. In other words, if our warrior wins, that basically means God is on our side. Our God is stronger than your God, or your warrior would have won. Your warrior lost, so therefore our God is stronger, so therefore we're going to win. So they would still fight the battle. But the losing side was well aware that they were in big trouble because their God had lost. That's how they viewed it. So imagine this. Now you have Goliath, who is a giant, and you have David, who is just a young boy. And he is way, I mean, it's, I mean you talk about the upset of the century. Um, so David wins the battle, and immediately after he wins the battle, uh, the, the Philistines flee because they say, if this God it can can give this, this young boy the victory with just a sling and a stone. And we had our guy with all the, the high-tech weaponry, and he was the biggest guy that, that, that walked on the earth, one of the biggest guys that walked on the earth. What chance do we have against these uh, Hebrews? Their God must be bigger than our God. And so they all fled. But that's how they did battle back then. Now, we aren't told... Um, whether when David threw the rock, the stone, whether that first blow killed Goliath, if it just hit the perfect place, or what happened, what we do know is it knocked him out, at the very least. And then David took Goliath's sword and basically cut his head off, and if he wasn't dead before, he was then, and that was basically the end of Goliath. And we're not told whether it was the, whether it was the stone or the sword, doesn't really matter, but essentially, David wins the battle. Now, what's interesting is what happens after the battle. So after the battle, and, and the Philistines are routed, and um, David is, uh, is, um, is uh, the winner, and you know, I'm sure all of Israel uh, is amazed at this little boy with the, with the courage that he has to go to battle against this giant. And I think there was a part of David that was just angry. Uh, there was a point, part of him that he felt like God's holiness and God's sovereign and his power was being mocked. And I think it was too much for David to take. You see, one of the things that David had was, and one of the things that the, the, the Hebrew army had was they had too low, view of, too low a view of God. David had a, a high view of God. He said, this is, this is God. This is not uh, somebody to play with. But it's very interesting because at the end of the battle, Saul asks the question. And he says, whose son is this? Whose son is this? Now, we know <coughs> that Saul or Samuel has already anointed David as the next king. And uh, I think Saul's aware that a king has been anointed, but he doesn't know who that is at this point. He's not aware of who that is yet. And David has been going and playing his harp um, it's possible that, that, that they have multiple people who are playing music for Saul. It's possible that Saul, just in his uh, whatever, David's not visibly there. He's just playing behind the scenes. Not really sure. But he doesn't put the connection together that this David has been playing his harp for me at this point. At least that connection hasn't been made. He doesn't know who David is. He doesn't know, I don't think at this point, that David has been anointed. But there is going to come a time where he puts two and two together, and there is going to be conflict between David and Saul, to the point that uh, David is going to have to hide from Saul. And, and, and that's going to be compounded because David is going to become best friends with Saul's son, who is heir to the throne, Jonathan. 
So there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of, of, of conflict that's coming on. But it's just interesting at the end of the story that David or Saul asks this question. He asks this question because you think about it. If you were one of the soldiers and you saw David with this boldness fight off this, this giant, what would you think? This is a guy we got to keep our eyes on. This is somebody that I might want to follow. This is somebody that I might want us to lead the nation. So he probably is getting a lot of credibility here. So uh, Saul is trying to keep, keep, a, keep, a, keep an eye on it. Now here's where we kind of come into this whole story. When we think about the David and, and Goliath story, the question is, who should... Who should we identify with? Because we tend to do that, don't we? We tend to read a story and we say, well, I see myself here. And many of us would say, you know, um, as I read the David story, um, I identify with David. And we would say something like this. We say, I need to face my giants with God's help. And with God's help, I can conquer all my giants. And that's the application for us, that we go home and we're like David. We, we need to be more like, <coughs> excuse me, more like David. I need to summon up my faith, and I need to summon up courage, and I could face my giants. I can just summon it up. And, and this is one way to read the David story, but I want to show you a better way to read it. Better way. Instead of seeing yourself as David, instead of seeing yourself as somebody who has to kind of say, I'm going to have courage like David, I'm going to have faith and trust like David, I'm going to look to God like David, all those are, are, are you know, significant things. Instead of that, we look at the David story and say, you know, I'm not David. You know who I am? I'm the Hebrew army. I'm one of the soldiers of the Hebrew army. And I'm afraid, and I'm cowering, and I'm powerless, and I'm fearful, and I'm without hope. Because every day that giant comes down and challenges me, and I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to win. I don't think I can win. I think it's hopeless. And some of you are right there right now in your life. Whatever the giant is in your life, and you've been trying to amp up enough courage, enough, and what you have to say is, no, 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 don't do that. What you need is exactly what the Israelite army needed. The Hebrew army, what did they need? They needed a champion. They needed a warrior that would come down and fight the battle for them. They needed a David. They needed somebody who could come and fight the battle for them. Um, we need to see ourselves as prisoners held in check, left to ourselves. Because when we do that, that allows us to see that we need a rescuer. And our rescuer is not David. Our rescuer is Jesus, right? And what does Jesus do? Jesus is a true and better, the true and better David. Uh, whose victory becomes our victory, even though we never lifted a sword to defeat the giant. You see, Jesus is the one who takes the sword. Jesus is the one who, who, who chops the head off the giant. Jesus is the one uh, who defeats the giants in our lives. And so what we need to stop doing is we need to say, this giant is mine. I need to go down in the battle like David. No, no, no. You need to say, no, no, no. I need to understand that there are some giants that I don't fight. Or I fight them in a different way. What do I mean by that? Who are the giants? The biggest giants in our lives are the devil, sin, and death. 
The Bible tells us that we're held captive by sin and the fear of death. And Jesus defeated sin and death when he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Once and for all, the giant has been defeated. <clears throat> here's, here, here's how we apply this. Because my champion, Jesus, and because of him, I now have a living, eternal hope. I have been forgiven. I have peace with my Father in heaven. And knowing that the greatest giants in my life have been defeated, I can now conquer the ordinary giants like suffering, disappointment, failure, criticism, and hardship. See, when I understand that Jesus has defeated the greatest giants in my life, and I realize he's going to help me in the rest of those battles, I can have confidence and I can encouragement. See, our biggest problem is, am I at peace with God? And, and where am I going when I die? And if I have those things settled, then every other giant is a smaller giant. It's an ordinary giant. Let me give you a couple of applications. How about the giant of failure? Um, the giant of failure is no longer imposing because I have a deep-seated security, knowing that God will never abandon me. The Bible says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so we know that the most important person in the world will never abandon us. So this giant that says, you're a failure, you're, you'll never amount to much, we have the New Testament that tells you, you are a sinner, but you are loved. You are a son. You are a daughter. I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. Jesus says, I will always be with you. So whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever struggle you have, whatever failure you have, the Lord is there to say, I am with you. I know about what you're going through. You see, if David is my example, his story will never help me fight the failure giant. But if I see Jesus as my substitute warrior whose victory provided my forgiveness and acceptance and setting me free and giving me new life and acceptance with the Father, then I can stand before the giant of failure and say, yes, I failed again. <laughs> but with the most important person in the world, I am accepted. I am love. I am forgiven. I'm given life. I was dead, but now I'm alive. We can, we can, we can deal with failure that way. Let me give you another one. The giant of forgiveness. The giant of forgiveness loses its power against me because I see Jesus. I see the innocent one who died for me. The guilty one. And when we understand the scope of our forgiveness, we can begin to forgive those around us. See, the reason you can't forgive the people around you is you've just never come to understand the forgiveness you've been given to by him, through him. See, the forgiveness means that I'm going to let a person off the hook, that I'm not going to try to get justice because it's not my job. My job is just to uh, say, God, they're in your hands, and I'm going to let you handle it. And, and, and so when people say and do things, um, there's a point where you say, I'm going to forgive them because that releases me, that sets me free. But I do it because I've been forgiven, that he forgave me when I didn't deserve it. He who knew no sin became sin for me. He took the penalty for my sin. It was my sin that placed him on the cross. And so now I can forgive because I look to the cross and I look to the example of Jesus and I look to Jesus, my not just my example of somebody who forgives, but my champion who provided forgiveness for me. And so now that I have been provided forgiveness by the champion, I have forgiveness to give to others. See, so instead of trying to, to say, well, I know I need to do it, I, try, I need to try harder, you say, no, 
I have to look to the cross. I have to see my example, but I also have to remember how much I've been forgiven. When I understand how much I've been forgiven, then I get to the place where I'm able to forgive others. If I've, never, if I've never dug in that truth and, and understood that truth and allowed that tr- truth to permeate my heart, then I will be, have a really hard time forgiving others. But when I allow the gospel to penetrate my heart and I see myself as forgiven, then it changes everything. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Even the prayers, Father... Uh, Right? We, we pray the Our Father. What is, what's the middle of the Our Father? Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Right? So there, there's, there, it's built in there. But it's, it's built in because we have this champion that goes before us in the area of forgiveness. So what giants are you facing? Are you trying hard to be like David? Are you fighting the battle that God never intended you to fight? Have you met your Savior, the warrior, his name is Jesus. See, he's already fought the battle for you, and he won. His resurrection proves that he is the champion against death, sin, uh, and the devil. See, when we look to our champion, we find the path that leads to our own personal victories. But we can't go out there and just make ourselves stronger and try a little harder and be a little better and be like more like David. No, we have to say, without God's help, we do exactly what David did. David went out on the battlefield and says, unless the God, God shows up, I, I'm dead. But he didn't believe that. He believed, and that's where faith comes in. David saw that God was going to give him the victory and take down the giant, and he did. See, if we want to defeat the giants in our life, don't look to David Look to Jesus. Jesus is my, not only my example, he's my champion. And he's both. He's an example, but he's also the champion. He provides us the, the, the basis of how we can have victory in our lives. If he didn't resurrect uh, on the third day, we would have no hope today, Paul says. You see, David risked physical death, but Jesus experienced spiritual and eternal death. David risked his life. Jesus gave his life. David entered into the valley. Jesus entered into the valley of death. And how could Jesus do this for us? Well, Hebrews tells us. Hebrews tells us that Jesus, it's very interesting when you read, I'm going to read you this passage in where we've been talking about Hebrews chapter 11, right? All the heroes of the faith. They're listed. And we've, we're, now we're talking about David. And it's, what's interesting is it says that what Jesus did when he was going through his passion, his suffering, his struggle, he looked ahead. He looked beyond his suffering to the joy that was set before him. And that's a great model for us. Let me read you that passage as we close. Therefore, since we have surrendered, this is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And notice that comes right after Hebrews 11. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these witnesses? The people we've been talking about for the last three months. We have all these witnesses. The heroes of the faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. (coughs) Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Notice that last phrase there. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father of the throne of God. Now, what did Jesus do here? Because this is the last thing we want to look at. What Jesus did was this. He knew the final score. He knew that, he, that there would be a time where he would go through this suffering, this passion, and he would die on a cruel cross. He kept telling his disciples that. But he said, on the third day, I will rise. And he did rise. He looked past his suffering to the resurrection. And so what we have now is we're told, in this world you will have tribulation, but look beyond the tribulation because one day God is going to set everything right. Not here and now, not today, not tomorrow, but one day God is going to set everything right. And so when you're going through those difficult times, maybe you're in the middle of it right now, you are not going to get the victory by focusing on the giant and saying, I just got to try harder. I got to have more faith. What you need to do at that moment is saying, God, is this even a battle that I should even be taking? Or do I need to turn that over to you? And help me to look past this to what you promised, where Jesus says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I care about you. I know what you're going through. I understand what it means to, to suffer and to be rejected and to, to, to be betrayed. I get all of that. But we look beyond that to the hope that we have, to the joy that we're promised, to the, the eternal life that is ours. And so when we do that, we can, we can I, you know, the phrase we use sometimes is it's like a cork. We go under, but we pop back up. Because we're looking ahead to the joy set before us. That's how we survive and that's how we thrive. So what giant have you been doing battle with lately? You've been going down on the field and you've been getting you know, beat up. And you go, that didn't go well. <laughs> and maybe you're thinking, Monday I'm going to face a giant. Maybe you need to call a timeout and say, you know, maybe that's not a giant I should be fighting. Maybe what I should be doing is saying, Jesus, this is yours. I want to do the best I can, but I'm going to stop worrying about it. I'm going to stop fretting about it. I'm going to look at the joy set before me. I'm going to let you handle this. I'm going to do what I need to do, but I'm not going to try to win a victory. I'm not going to try to control something I can't control. I'm going to follow the example that you gave me that you sent the warrior out for me, and he won the biggest battle that I ever needed. And so every other battle that I'm facing right now pales in comparison to the battle that was, that was, that was uh, given to me 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead and defeated the devil, sin, and death for me because now I have the hope of eternal life. And when we do that, our life takes a different perspective. And we begin to see what God has done and what God is doing in our life. May God help us. Don't fight the battles that you were never intended to fight. Don't be a, a seven-year-old boy with a rock in your hand throwing it at a 30-year-old, six-foot-two, 200-pound angry man. That's a battle you will not win. Instead, say, Jesus, you're going to have to handle this one for me. It's above my pay grade. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, help us.
I think some people are struggling uh, this weekend, and it may be work, it may be relational, it may be health, it may be financial. Uh, I'm not sure what it is. Maybe just be in simple areas like forgiveness. It, it, it help them to see that there are battles that don't belong to us. In Scripture, both the Old and New Testament say, the battle belongs to the Lord. And thank you, Father, that your son Jesus won the greatest battle that was ever fought, the most important battle for everyone in this room, the battle against the devil, sin, and death. And thank you that he helps us in those other battles. Father, help us to trust you and to, to understand that, that uh, when we look beyond today and tomorrow and we look to eternity, we know how the final score plays out. May that encourage our hearts. May it help us to put some of these battles in perspective. And may we find that hope because we're looking forward to the hope laid before us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.